Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that has got... I was going to say nothing to apologise for. Probably a lot to apologise for, but not this week. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and he is the Chief Cook and Bottle Washer, but also the Founder and Managing Director of Strawman.com. And he is, of course, Mr. Andrew Page, Esquire. How are you, buddy? I am indeed. Thank you for remembering the Esquire. Uh, I know it's important. It's important. Contractually bound, but yes, appreciate it. <laughs> exactly. Well, until, until you're knighted or, you know, given a, 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 a day. lordship. <laughs> One day. Sir Andrew Page, knight of the knight of the straw garter or something. Maybe there's, there's something there. I don't know. I don't know. I'll Work that one out. <laughs> if you are knighted, mate, it'll be for services to strawmanship, uh, which, which <laughs> obliges me to ask, of course, what is strawman? <laughs> We're a private online investment club. Go check it out. Strawman.com. <laughs> and he got knighthoods to everybody. Have you ever been? Have you ever wanted to buy like a foot of Scottish soil to get a lordship? Have you ever been sucked into one of those things? No, no, I can't no. say I have. No, you bought you? a bought a plot of land on the moon or a star or something. Well, that now you've got me interested. That's that's okay. a little bit more science fictiony. I can I can get behind something like that. Yeah. So you'd rather not have some actual land in Scotland. You'd rather have. You'd rather pay money for a star. I think I think the the conversation <laughs> starter value on that alone. Oh, I see. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, Did I, I ever tell you I owned a star? Like, there, there you go. There you go. Right. Mate, at, at some point, when at some point when our wives get smart enough and dump us, we'll need something to try and go and pick up the girls. That, that maybe we'll start with something like that. <laughs> that's exactly. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> yes. Did, 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 did we met my mate Lord Scott. Funnily enough, Andrew owns a star. Really? Tell me more. <laughs> See how that goes. Mate, uh, let's tangent. Let's move on with uh, the podcast because there's a bit going on this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really, you know what? So we, everyone knows by now the inflation numbers, the monthly inflation numbers came out on was it Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. And uh, they were, well, here's the thing, right? I've been asked about it three or four times yesterday or Wednesday. And when I did, uh, when I was asked about it, it was one of those things where you kind of go, so inflation was 6.9%. Last month was 7.3. The market had expected 7.1. So that's that's the numbers. Um, there's an asterisk on this one too, actually. Firstly, this is a monthly series and the ABS is, you know, it's, it's, it's new. So not only is monthly volatile anyway, or more volatile than quarterly, it's also brand new. So the ABS is still feeling its way to make sure this is right. So keep that in mind. The other thing is it came down in part because they changed the basket. They changed the, the weightings they gave to certain things. Now they should, um, as they get more accurate. I've got to say the ABS are pretty unimpeachable. So there's nothing, there's no funny buggers going on. They're just saying, well, actually we thought that transport should be 5.4%. Turns out it's 5.8% or whatever the right numbers are. And they just changed some of those to, to more accurately reflect the economy. So that's all true and that's all happening. Uh, and yet, and yet, if you'd asked me 12 months ago, hey, Scott, what do you think of 6.9% unemployment? I would have fallen off my chair, told me you were joking, and then hyperventilated while well, I imagined what that might look like. We find ourselves in December 2022 going, 6.9%, that is spectacularly great. The market loved it. We went from being down a third of a percent on Wednesday to finishing the day up half a percent because uh, the market loved the fact that we had 7% inflation. We, we are in strange times, aren't we? Oh, it's, it's super strange. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even just on that earlier point, I again, I don't want to make a big deal of it, but I do find, and again, there is no funny business at play other than there is such immense subjectivity in mm-hmm. in that basket. I, I reckon yep. you could put a whole bunch of great economics, neutral, unbiased academic, mm-hmm. academics together in different groups, and they yep. come up with a different weighting and different yep. different goods. So it's just the, the arbitrariness of it is something I just, it's just noteworthy, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? Yes. It's sort of like we're yep. trying to, yep. we're trying, to, when we say we're measuring prices, I mean, every individual thing has its own price. And so yeah. what are, what is that on average? It's a it's a diabolically hard thing to do. So anyway, it's it's interesting. But yeah, I mean the good news here is I suppose um, everyone feels as though the RBA is going to stop tightening uh, sooner now. So it's all, yeah. it's um, it's back on. I think <laughs> the the, uh, the, um, the 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 fear we had over soaring interest rates is sort of lessened mm. somewhat. Mm. I think that's right. I think. Um I, I, nothing, you know. I, I think that's that's exactly spot on. There is, I think, that hope though that rates won't go up as much or as far. The market apparently has gone from the average official cash rate forecast was four point one percent before now it's three point seven five percent. Now take those with a massive grain of salt because we've talked about the quality of forecasts and predictions change. before. Yeah, they will. Um, but it, but it, it is, you know, I think, 
I mean, and I've got to say, mate, like we're, we're a finance investing podcast, but I've got to say, you know, my, my biggest concern, I'm, I'm sure yours too, is for people who are just absolutely struggling with prices right now. And so, you know, if you're, a, if you're doing it tough already, um, the fact that inflation might possibly have peaked if we're super lucky, and again, no predictions, no, no victory laps, because God knows what happens next month. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, you just kind of hope that maybe we are on, on a downward path and that, you know, the, the continual growth in prices will moderate just because there are people whose incomes aren't going up as fast as those costs. And, you know, as you, you're right, the basket's a subjective, but mm. I also think at that at this sort of scale and size, at 7%, nothing's going backwards, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's just a whole lot of people out there who are saying, you know what, I'm I either on low income or, uh, you know, I'm looking after kids or I'm a single parent or, or even people who are working who said, I took on a mortgage and, I'm, and now I'm struggling and we can debate whether they should take on that mortgage, but they're still in the position of like, you know, there's only so much pain I can take here. Yeah. So I think those are, you know, for, for, any, for any, in any other, um, in every other sense that matters, the physical economy sense, the fact that prices may not be going up as quickly might actually start to moderate more quickly than we hoped. I mean, that's just, that's just good news across the board. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, it's 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 so amazing too, as you you touched on at the beginning there, the the reference point from which we we measure. I, I sort <laughs> yeah. of still yeah. my gut tells me that I, I the days of two to three percent will will take a while to get back. You know, in that yeah. in that range, yeah. and so we might settle back at five percent and think it's wonderful because we we went via <laughs> yeah, seven. That's right. If we'd started yeah. sort of at two and worked our way up to five and stayed there, like it's the same it's the same destination, but one would be seen as as a lot better. Yeah, um, yeah that's I, I mean, as I've said before, I, I feel as though really the the best outcome that the bank mm. w- would be hoping for is is in fact something like that, high enough that people aren't going to like it's not really going to yeah. tip things into um, very scary sort of territory, mm-hmm. um, but but high enough to sort of help us manage some of these uh, debts. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want to walk a fine line? Yeah, it is. It is. It's a it's a tough one, mate. Let's um let's move from that because we speaking of fine lines, uh, the RBA has a very fine line to walk in both their decisions and their uh, pronouncements, their public statements. And Governor Lowe had to front a Senate Economics Committee this week, and he was asked by Senator Nick McKim, "Will you apologise to Australians for getting your uh, interest rate forecast wrong?" And Lowe danced all over it, but eventually said, "Yep." I'm sorry if people listened to us and did things and they're now sorry they did those things, then I'm sorry. Um, I'm, it was, I'm sorry that it was, you listened to us. It was the best yes, non-apology yes. in, the, in the history of, of central banking, I think. Yeah, taking lessons from the politicians, I think, too, just quietly. Although I'm sorry if you were offended. It's like, that's not what you should be apologising for. <laughs> um, we, we saw one of those, by the way, during the week with, some, with a former prime minister apologising for people who thought he did the wrong thing. It's like, no, that's not. No, you don't. It's not. Anyway. <laughs> that's, um, that's so, yes, the, the, the non-apology is, is legion in, in, in Canberra, particularly, mm. the, the capital of non-apologies in Australia. Um, what did you think of, of his statement, mate? What did you think of, of him somewhat, at least, coming to face up to and, and acknowledge what happened over the last couple of years? Uh, I mean, I do, I've got, you know, uh, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to shower him in sympathy, but I, I do <laughs> think that the the, mar- the press has run a bit too hard with this. I mean, just, just mm. to be clear, he never promised anything. He, he gave yeah. his best guess at the time. And I just, I always find it strange too that, I mean, who's taking out a 30-year mortgage where everything, like the viability of, of, of repaying and managing that depended on the first two years of worth of interest rates. Like it, it strikes me as if your whole, if your whole structure has been blown out of the water because things started to move up quicker than you initially anticipated, you must have yeah. been right on the line anyway, right? Like it's it sort of like, let's say that interest rates didn't rise until the RBA had, had um, uh, initially um, told mm, us to expect mm. and, then, and then they moved in the yep. way that they have. I mean, when you do the maths on that, it's not like it's not like one situation. Oh, this is a walk in the park managing this mortgage, and the other one is, oh my god, it's all doom and gloom. And, and you know, I, I I feel as though I feel as though this pudding has been very seriously overegged. I think so too. I think well, so yeah, I I'm, I was asked about this again too during the week, so I had some time to think about this one. I I think my. Gen- so there's a couple of things. Firstly, as you say rightly, and this is this gets forgotten very, very quickly. In fact, I'd, there's probably you and I and about three other people who even mentioned this now because um, it's just too easy not to think about critically about it, which is probably part of the issue. As you say, Lowe never said they, we wouldn't put rates up until 2024. What he said was when wages and prices go up, we'll have to increase rates and that will probably be 2024. Mm. So it was absolutely conditional and absolutely based on the data and turns out that he did exactly what he said he would do. 
in terms of the conditions. If this happens, then we will do this. He just got the time frame wrong. Mm. Now, just a couple of things for me. Firstly, um, so so he should have been he should have been he should be given some leeway for the comment made, as opposed to you know you promised this. No, no, I didn't. Two things though. Firstly, when he was misquoted regularly and consistently, he did nothing to correct the record. That's true, and that is absolutely one hundred percent on him. Yep. There is there is no escape from that. I, I think I think I think Lowe is a very good man. I think he's very well informed. I think he's very well intentioned. He's probably the person best placed in Australia to lead the central bank and make these decisions. Um, I have I, you know I have a lot of respect for Lowe. Uh, so I, I I don't I don't criticize him as a as a way of saying well I hate him anyway. So here's another way to pile on. You know he was misquoted. Not his fault. He didn't correct the record. Hundred percent his fault. Mm. Uh, and I think along with every other central bank in the world, and that's also important to remember. Uh, he simply didn't maybe want to believe um, <laughs> the opposite of the X-Files. Um, he didn't want to believe that inflation could actually be here. You know, they spent 40 years in central bank land saying inflation is almost, almost all but dead. Mm. Um, you know, surely this time it wouldn't be back. And I'm not even sure that's, that's, I'm not even sure that's the wrong approach. You know, like if you think about this, with the benefit of hindsight, we all go, oh, of course it was wrong. In another universe, inflation spikes for a month, goes back down again, and Lowe says, see, I told you I was right, and he's mm. being fated in every financial newspaper as, you know, the governor who saw the future. Mm. And so, you know, we, we kind of, we, we use hindsight to, to willingly smash people. And I think, I think I, 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 we saw a lot of people on, in, on social media in particular, Lowe must resign, even a couple of bloody pollies who are trying to get headlines. Mm. Lowe must resign. And I kind of, you and I talked about this before in other contexts, but I... You know, I think other than bloodlust, I wrote about this during the week, other than bloodlust, you know, why should Lowe resign? Yes, he got it wrong. Okay, well, he got he made a mistake. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. Not as consequential, to be fair. <laughs> but, he, you know, if he was to leave, let's say he's replaced by someone who is less less um, uh, suitable to the job. Would, do, do we really want to replace the guy best placed because he made a mistake? Mm. Well, the, and, you know, the, there, the other person's going to make a mistake too. This is this. Right. You're, you're in an impossible situation. <laughs> yes. And again, yeah. it sounds like we're being sort of real <laughs> cheerleaders for low here. I mean, I've just yeah. I really want to make the point. I've got no love for central banking and central bankers, but it's it's just like it's an impossible job. Whoever's whoever's put in the chair is going to make mistakes because mm-hmm. you are. Again, I'm repeating myself, but it is a complex, dynamic system. You know, we do multi factorially impacted by a whole host of unrelated and inter, in, interrelated variables. It is, it is, it's chaos incarnate and, yeah. and yeah. you're trying and they have to balance everything in this insanely complex scenario and, and have one lever that they can respond to with that. So it's, it's sort of like, I, I feel as though at some point we, we all need to take a bit of personal responsibility. If, if, you know, if you're sitting there considering what can I do here with my personal financial life and you're going to leverage up to the very eyeballs based on what, you know, some bureaucrat said, it's kind of, it's on you, I'm afraid. Like it, it kind of is at a, at a certain point. Like how much were you going to pay off the damn thing in the next two years that was going to change the equation yeah. substantially? Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. not not that much. It, do, it doesn't really change anything. So it's sort of, mm. I don't know. I, I just think like, we've got to stop. We do it every time. We ask, hey, what do you think is going to happen? I think this. It's wrong. Oh, you're an idiot. Okay. Hey, now what do you think is going to happen? This. Oh, it's wrong. Oh, you're an idiot. Hey, now what do you think is going to happen? We just do it again and again and again. And and who's the idiot for keeping asking? Stop asking. Stop asking. They won't know. And what you You do, and what you do again, just as an investor, because Mm. you do have to make decisions in an uncertain world, and and is what you do is, you know, again, first Buffett quote of the day is, you know, Mm. margin of safety, the three most important words in investing, account for the uh, for for the unexpected, and and it just it when everything goes your way, you'll regret that you didn't borrow more and take the most aggressive position yeah. because in that scenario <laughs> exactly. you would have made more money but exactly. you don't go to the edge every time you you always account for the rainy day you always allow for the unexpected and that way when it happens it's not fun it never is but you're not wiped out so to structure yourself in that way and then point to everyone else but yourself i i just find it a little it just sticks in my craw a little bit yeah and i've made yeah. the point before that it that 
I actually do have some sympathy for a lot of people in that situation because it, it may be someone who's purported to be a financial expert or a mortgage broker or a mm-hmm. bank or a financial planner that's encouraged <laughs> you to do that. And yeah. not to not to badmouth the entire industry there. There's some great great operators, but at the same time, there's there's some there's some unscrupulous o- operators as well. And 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 I, I feel as though when you have a multi-decade run of this actually, you know, leveraging up to the eyeballs, actually being a prudent thing to do. It's <laughs> and 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 all, all these smart quote unquote people telling you that's the right thing to do. Um, it is it is a very difficult thing to avoid. But, you know, no one cares more about your own money than you. And I, I say it all the time. I'll say it again. I think I think we all need to take a little bit more personal responsibility on that on that front. Yep, I think that's right. I, one one point I just want to extract from what you just said, mate, just to repeat it, which is, you know, humans we, we are we are we have a million different psychological failings as investors and as as financial types, because we're not made for it. One of the biggest ones is recency bias. And to your point, you know, at 2%, you're borrowing everything because it's 2%. Yeah. At 6%, you're borrowing nothing because it's 6%. Mm. And the idea of whatever it is now will be there forever in both ways, right? At 2%, seriously, who thought it was going to stay there? Mm. Hopefully nobody. I'm not going to criticize people who aren't as financially literate as you or I and most of our listeners. So again, to your point, regulators, banks, financial advisors have a massive role to play here and they, they misused that role, I think, in hindsight. Um, actually, I don't think in hindsight. I know in hindsight. Not yeah. everybody in every bank and every advisor, but people who didn't properly warn borrowers this will not last mm-hmm. um did themselves themselves and their 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 um people who are listening to them whatever you call that group uh, a massive massive disservice but the same is also true now at six percent or whatever the rates end up getting to they're not there yet for 4.75 i think i saw the other day um if they get to five five and a half whatever number ends up being mm. it will start to come back down again at some point and you know this too shall pass is yeah. is, is one of those things that is you know, cliches are cliches for a reason. We kind of, we kind of, we generally tend to not like cliches because they're cliches. Oh, that's a big cliche. Why is it a cliche? Because it's so true. It's become mm. a truism because it's like, you mm. know, maybe, maybe there are exceptions, but you know, this too shall pass. So all of those things are true. Will, you know, will rates move again? Yes. They'll probably go down at some point. They'll probably go up before they go down, but who knows? Um, those things are always going to be true. Mm. Don't assume whatever we're doing now is what continues to happen. Yeah, and and don't and don't even beat yourself up with this stuff. You you can look at people who work for investment banks who trade these exact scenarios, mm. who have the best education, who have worked for decades in this space, who <laughs> fen- essentially make financial bets on what what yeah. the RBA is going to do, and mm. the, they're not covering themselves in glory here. You know, again, I point back to not so, so calling everyone an idiot, but more trying to say that <clears throat> people are doing trying to do very very difficult things. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very hard. That's so a, stop yep, trying. Stop yep. trying, right? Yep. Just don't don't forecast <laughs> exactly. and just and just again just be prudent in what in what you're doing. That's it's mm-hmm. it's all it's all you can do. Spot on. Let's uh let's move on, mate, because the good news is the good news is yesterday was the first of December, which means it's time for the Santa Rally. So I'm going to Bring not do more episodes this month. Uh, I'm going to mortgage my house, put all my money in the stock market because it's a Santa Rally. And so I don't need to even do any work to make a fortune. Yeah. So I'm going to sell the car, sell the house, put it all in the market, um, tell the boss to go and get stuffed because by December 31, I am going to be... That, that's how it works, right? Yes. So there's a few okay, seasons. The- there's the Santa Rally. There's, uh, yes. there's Crash Month, which is October. Okay, and uh, yeah, the uh, the the market observers will tell you that you know October is generally a good time to sell, and December right. is generally a good time to buy. So I'm good to mortgage my house and put it all on. Yeah, rent. nah, not really, nah. because okay. because unfortunately, while it sounds good, and why <laughs> anecdotally, if you sort of go back and look at every sort of December, things, mm. oh yeah, it does feel as though it goes up more than not. It's not not in any statistically valid way, and right. there's there's plenty of of you know again, it, plenty of times where it doesn't. And uh, yeah, it's an absolutely ridiculous thing. The market, the well, the financial press love it. I mean, I'll make a point right here. Like, let's. I just talked about crash month with October. Like October had a, was fantastic, wasn't it? <laughs> Frankly, it was a really great month for the for the market. Um, so yeah, no, I, I would I would avoid that. But hey, I mean, I'm always I'm I'm always um, supportive of the market going up. I hope it does. <laughs> but it's not going to make or break me whatever happens in one particular month. It's funny, isn't it? It's, again, I know I talk about psychology of investing a lot. I don't have to apologize for it other than if you're really, really bored by it. But we want to believe, right? We just do. Mm. Someone says the market's out, like, oh, thank God. Okay, then, good. 
you don't even bother thinking about it because it's just, it's just, it's just like it doesn't aid your point. I hope it's, I hope they're right. So it doesn't bear thinking about. Mm. Um, can I, can I just prove or prove it? No. So it's easy just to go. Okay, good, sure, fine. Okay, great, thanks. Yeah. Um, I got to say, I as as regularly will maintain most of my um, what's the right word disdain for those people in the industry who repeat the same crap. Mm. I don't, you know, I journalists doing it because they're on short budgets and some expert says it so they write the article because they get some clicks. Okay, you've got some responsibility too. The people in our industry who just go, hey, hey, Santa rally time because largely they're trying to find a way to stir up a bit of business. Mm. They're the people I reserve the most contempt for. Mm. There you go. I've, I've, I've upgraded disdain to contempt. Nice. Um, it, it's just, it, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, there are some people out there who genuinely believe this crap and like, you know, I, I don't know if I feel sorry for them or pity them or hate them or whatever it is, but the rest of them who are just like, well, maybe, so maybe get ready for it. So maybe there's an opportunity for us to have a conversation about what you maybe should buy. I get a phone call every every couple of weeks from a, 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 a reputable uh, but very persistent wine seller who calls me up and says, hey, I've got this great special for you, Scott. Do you want to buy some more wine? And normally I say no. And occasionally if I say the number, I avoid the number in the first place. Mm. Um, sometimes I say yes. But it's like that, right? It's The difference between the stockbroker who rings up and says, hey, it might be a good time to buy some BHP. And the one who says, hey, good time to buy some wine. Mm. I, again, I'm, I'm going to offend every stockbroker listening. They're not, not all bad people, but it's not dissimilar. If they're salespeople, right? They're out there trying to make a sale, yeah. give you a reason to maybe possibly buy something. Um, the benefit? of investing is generally speaking the market does have a positive expected return so maybe there's no harm in adding more money to the market generally and if you don't get the best possible return i guess it's better than doing nothing but um yeah it's it's a uh, it's a challenging time yeah my other thought about this mate is you know that you, you know this the santa rally for those who don't know the santa rally is actually a thing that replaced the january effect mm. do you remember the january effect it wasn't it was a very early in our in our investing lives the january effect was originally the thing yeah, and so what happened? The Santa rally turned up because people wanted to get ahead of the January effects so they were bought in December. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to tell you, in the month of November just finished, the ASX was up six point one percent. Now I'm not going to make any predictions for December because that would be stupid. The market would be up twenty five percent by the end of the year. Or it could be down twenty percent. Who knows? Mm. But you know, it wouldn't be the first time that people are trying to front run the other people front running the other people. Yeah. Um, so the January effect becomes a Santa Claus rally. The Santa Claus rally will eventually become. I'm going to. I will make a prediction. Mate, twenty years time, we will be talking about the November. What will they call it? The November phenomenon. Uh, because <laughs> it'll be people trying to front run the, the Santa Claus rally and, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the irony, isn't it? The very, the very prosecution of the strategy undermines it, um, which, which again is what, what you would expect with systems that have no. any kind of feedback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and you, yeah. Crowds are funny. Crowds are funny things. So uh, you're not going to, I shouldn't sell a house. Are we telling me? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> You know, it, so and it comes from it comes from this idea, I believe, that like you know, the industry, Wall Street, people in Martin Place, they all went on holidays. Everyone's in a good mood. There's lighter volumes. There's more optimism around. There's actually not a lot of news flow. So there's it gives sort of the animal spirits a bit bit of a chance to run. And you know, it's kind of it's funny to it's it's sort of funny to sort of talk about. But yeah, in terms of any what you actually do, that it, it has no impact. What what gets me about it more is is it's it's not just that phrase, but it's just a reminder of whenever you're in the press talking about this stuff, it is, what's the market doing now? Where's it going next? (laughs) Which is a more broader issue for me. And it's kind of like it misses the forest for the trees. I'll give you a good analogy. If you you own a house or you're paying your house off. So we know that house prices, the better time to sell a house is in spring. So the, so the real estate agents tell us, you know, it's the spring, spring season. Now, if you're not in the market and you're sitting in your house, I mean, do you feel happier? during that during spring because oh I, if i sold my house now to be worth a little bit more than if i waited till the depths of winter or tried to sell it over like between christmas and new year when the market's not as hot i mean no it doesn't you don't you don't even think about it because yeah. all of the utility and value you get from the your your um your shelter is is unchanged and i think it's pretty much the same with with shares i mean you know, the companies that are in my portfolio are still doing their thing and whether or not the market happens to be in a good or bad mood or it's gone down or china's done this or whatever it's just sort of <laughs> it's all such a massive distraction and i, I feel as though we, we there is a very strong incentive to do that because if you really were to have a financial media apparatus only talked about the important things 
you'd have these huge black periods of just nothing, right? And then you'd have reporting season, there'd be some interesting stuff to talk about and then nothing. So you kind of, you need you need the noise and the sound and the fury to, to continue to talk about stuff, but it's all a giant <laughs> distraction. It's all a massive it distraction. Is. It is, it's the... Uh the sound and noise and everything else rather than the actual just fundamentals of investing. We might get a chance to talk about a, a speaking of boringness, we might get a chance to talk about a boring company a bit later. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned. How's, how's that for a lead? Don't, don't stop listening. We're going to talk about boring stuff later. Uh, but it's a boring thing with a very, very, very good long-term result. If you want to know what that is, stay tuned. No no, no clues. Um, mate, let's... Because, we, you know, we, this is a bit, a bit of a ranty episode. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about Elon Musk. Because, <laughs> you know, no, no, he's, he's one of those bland characters no one's really got a strong opinion on. Um, the bloke now owns Twitter. We all know that. Uh, he has been kind of out there and kind of doing his thing. And tell you what, he stirs up the passions, doesn't he? There are, there are, there are cults, there are religions, and then there are Elon Musk fans. Uh, they're almost as bad as crypto fans, but I'm not going to go down that path. Um, the, the the certainty, the the uh, <sighs> vitriol, the uh, hero worship. I I'm sure some people think he's both immortal and uh, and and perfect. It, it, it is. It's just a hell of a thing, mate. I I don't know whether to think about this as a, a study in humanity, human behaviour, or psychology, or finance, or I don't know um, business people as sports heroes. I can't, I can't think of I can't think of anybody in the public eye. I'm sure there are plenty who stir as much passion in both directions. Mm. I'm sure there are people that get more love than Elon. I'm sure there are people who are more hated than Elon. But I'm not sure who they are. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 relatively sure there's no one who is both of those things at the same time. He is just such a lightning rod for for criticism and otherwise. Mm. He has, as I said, bought Twitter. is is planning to introduce an eight dollar a month charge uh he's going to go to war with apple apparently to try and get them not to take their 30 percent cut of that um he has happily just poked fun at everybody who challenges him or thinks he's a knucklehead or just has a has a even a you know a thoughtful critique of his business uh his his air quotes funny response to people who comment on twitter says interesting now pay eight dollars and all these folks go, ha, 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 he's such a, he's such a clever japester, that L. Elon. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'll go first, mate. I, I, think, I think what we, what many people miss in the Elon story is the fact you don't have to choose black or white. You don't have to think good or evil, you know. Uh, Elon has had a very successful career, both pre-Tesla and then at Tesla. I won't say post-Tesla yet, because A, he's still there, and B, we don't know what happens with Twitter. Um, he has become the world's richest man. He has a brain the size of a planet. He is probably the only person who could have made Tesla, maybe not the only person, that's probably too much, but made Tesla into what it is from what it was. He has designed, or he's led a team of people who have designed rockets that land back on launch pads, which blows my mind. If you haven't seen it, Google it. It is just, it is just like it. It's mind-blowing. It's, you'd almost swear the tape was done in reverse. It's, it's amazing, amazing. Mm. So he's that. He's also, though, in my mind got the empathy and consideration and maybe moral approach of a 13-year-old boy. Uh, He certainly got the sense of humor of a 13-year-old boy. And all of those descriptions might actually be unkind of the 13-year-old boy. Um, He he is just... I I think you can dislike parts of somebody or somebody's actions or an approach. And also, I would say I love Elon, but I'm really glad he's brought EVs to the fore. I'm really glad he is, you know, lowering the cost of putting satellites into space. And there are, there are so many good things that come out of Elon. You don't have to, you don't have to, this thing. you don't have to say, I'm going to give no credit for that stuff because I don't like his character. And you don't have to say, I'm going to give him a pass on every other bad thing he does because at least he put some rockets in the air and, and made an electric vehicle. I think you can be in between you can not even in between you can have a strong view on both of those things and and both can be true yep yep i mean that that's the kind of thing that frustrates me with it all Pe- you, people love to think in black and white terms and i mean he's yeah. a weird guy you know and he's got a whole bunch of unsavory <laughs> characteristics yes, yes but i'm sure if we went i'm sure if there was if twitter was around in in earlier times we may have you know realized that isaac newton was a real 
and um, <laughs> SOB. So and so. Do you know? Nikola Tesla was just like a pain to be around. Henry Ford had some pretty interesting opinions. Like yeah, they, yeah. All the great people point, of history, right? You know, um, mm, mm, there's mm. there's this quirks to the all. So this isn't, again, to apologise. I mean, it doesn't need me or you to say anything. It's, it, but it's just, I do, yeah. I do find remarkable the drama that's surrounding it. And it reminds me that, as a species, we just love a good soap opera. And what a oh, great soap we? opera. The world's richest man yeah. who's, you know, in all for all intents and purposes, exactly like a Bond villain or hero, depending on how you want to <laughs> yeah. sort of frame it. You know, right. he really needs to live in a volcano because that would just be <laughs> awesome. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of... And he actually put out some... Um, info on Twitter recently engagements have gone up signups have gone up you know there's been yeah. a, the death of Twitter has been greatly exaggerated yes, um, yes, in, yes. in my mind um, uh, look I, I don't well, we can't buy shares in it anyway so it's a moot mm. point but but I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he does a d- bunch of dumb things but somehow <laughs> pulls it out mm. and just it just it's, it goes on and it survives if there's one thing that I am just hyper hyper aware of in, in all areas of investing is is network effect. I just yeah. for me it it is the most dominant form of competitive advantage and moat, and and it's hard to think of of too many stronger instances mm. of a network effect. For those that don't know, it just means that the more people that use a product or service, the better that service becomes for everyone. So the classic example here is the telephone. If I was the only one with the telephone in the world, it's useless. Now two people have it. Well, now it's pretty cool. I can speak to that other person. You know, ten people have it. It's well, it's more than ten times better. You know, it just it starts yeah. to compound on itself. And it's also and the case that if it is, if do ten people do have it, the eleventh person is more likely to have it once the ten have it. So it, it also yep. tends to speed up in that same way. The you know, when one's got it, does anyone else want it? Well, unless I want to call you, I don't. I'm not getting a phone myself. It's so if you've huge. got one, my mum's got one, and the bloke down the road's got one. Well, like now I've got three reasons to get a phone. Somehow I'm more likely. Yep. And it, and it does become exponential really fast. And and the person who's already got the phone now finds ex- even more value in it because there's more people I can call. And it, it you you see it everywhere. Right. And it, it tends to lead to what they call S curve adoptions. And mm. again, this is so what. What it basically says is that when you, a new technology is introduced, the time it takes to go from zero to ten percent adoption, um, in the same time, uh, whatever, let's say that takes three years, four years to do. In the same period of time, it will go from ten percent to ninety percent adoption. Yeah. It's an ex- exponential curve, and then obviously flattens off as you approach full adoption. And anyway, just I just think when when it comes to Twitter, I think I'm really I'm here for it. I, hey, what do you what do you reckon? I despite everyone complaining about it. I honestly can't say that I've noticed any difference personally on 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 my account in the experience that I've had with it. Have you noticed anything? Good, yeah. Uh, you know what? I I I I'm really always careful to be careful with correlation and causation. Mm. So I'm getting a truckload more direct messages with spam. That's the, the current one seems to be job offers from Amazon. Yeah, and if someone sends a message to thirty-five just random people and says, "Hey, looking for part-time work? Click here and, and get part-time work with Amazon." I'm getting three of those a week, and mm-hmm. four of those a week. I got none, literally zero, two months ago. Mm-hmm. Now I don't. I'm not going to say it's causation or correlation. I have no idea what's changed with, um, with Elon taking over. Whether it's even it may be completely unrelated. So I, I don't know. I have noticed that to be honest. Mm. Um, <coughs> I think you know what's what's fascinating about, and this is the other. So the other thing about network effects, or sorry, not even about network effects, alongside network effects, the real question for policy, this isn't investing at all, is just the value or the cost of the algorithm. Mm. And so, you know, what do I see? Firstly, I've chosen in my on my Twitter account, I don't know how many people do, but I imagine it's a very small minority, to see top to see, sorry, most recent tweets first. In other words, I've chosen I've turned off the algorithm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Facebook, it's bloody hard to do that. You used to be able to do that easily. You can't do it anymore. You've got to dig down to the you know, favorites and then settings and then do it and then it reverts back next time you log on. Uh, but at least with Twitter, you can say, show me, just just show me the, the most recent tweets first. So I'm not seeing the algorithm, so I don't see the same, I don't get offered the same stuff the same way. I'm literally seeing what people did in, in chronological order. Mm. Um, I'm seeing fewer ads and the ads I am seeing are from Twitter more than anything. So maybe there's that. But no, you're right. I, I'm not seeing that. I guess what I, the point about the algorithm is that we also are in echo chambers and I don't know, and look from a straight out, honestly, from a from a network perspective, what I don't love about Elon's new approach, and there are plenty of people who disagree with me, which is fine. Um, what I think, what I am worried about is the I don't see the stuff that maybe is the hate spewing and spreading itself 
um, in stuff that I don't have, just don't choose to follow. Now, on one hand, you say, well, don't follow it. That's fine. On the other hand, should Twitter be a network for anti-Semitism and racism and hatred and misogyny? Should we do something about that? Should we care about that? I kind of think we should. So personally, and other people disagree, but personally, I, even though I don't see it, if other people are seeing it or it's being used that way, I would suggest a platform of this size and scale has a responsibility to at least have a view on that and take some sorts of action. So I'm not seeing it. The other thing I'm super aware of, mate, on Twitter is I'm, I'm a middle-class white bloke. Um, and so, you know, I don't get some of the crap that's been thrown at women or black people or others who are minorities who can get punched down on pretty easily, right? So no one bothers to take me on. I occasionally get jokes about my hair. Uh, very occasionally get jokes about my investment performance. But other than that, you know, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm not a very easy target for those sorts of people. So I just, I just want to kind of, you know, I will flag those things. I'm not seeing them, but I'm not sure if my experience is the one that should be determining whether or not Twitter's being run well or not. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a thought? Um, yeah, I mean, it's still still so early as well. Like, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, ta- it takes it takes time to turn the Titanic, right? You can get, yes, yeah. get up into what, what's I was going to say the cockpit. That's not right. The bridge, <laughs> the bridge of the of a, of a big uh, freighter. If, I, if I'm on a boat and someone says, "Can anyone sail this thing?" I would say, "Don't ask Andrew. He thinks it's a cockpit. <laughs> He's in the cockpit." <laughs> um, That's, where's the cockpit down the back? Okay, I'm off. <laughs> Stern. Well, which way is that? Um, but I mean, you, you uh, could you could spin the wheel, right? And then yes, in yes. maybe in ten minutes, yeah. it starts to yeah. turn. I, I, yeah. I'm 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 very aware of, of all of that kind yeah, of stuff true. too. And we all we all expect yeah. instant kinds of things. Anyway, I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. here for it because I love a good drama yeah. as much as as anyone, and and I think it's it's kind of feeding on itself a little bit. But it's also it's also a not a little bit ironic that there's there's so many people calling for the or complaining about Twitter on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and these these yeah, sort of yeah, um, yeah. and uh, the network is the network, right? To your point. Yeah, they, they'll be back, and then the people are like, "I'm out of here. All right, who's with me? Me?" And they and then no one follows. <laughs> yeah, they'll be everybody back. this way. They'll everybody. be back. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of Jerry Maguire, right? With the, the goldfish under the arm and the manifesto of "We're all going to leave." Yeah. Well, no, just just you, Jerry. Just we're not. Jerry. We're not, we're not leaving. <laughs> it's um. So I want to talk two things quickly. I share your. Uh, view that it's much more likely to be successful than most people believe um, for a couple of reasons one is the network is the network secondly Musk would be a terrible boss to work for mm. I would not work for I would not work for Tesla or Twitter if you well pay me you double my salary I wouldn't do it right because mm. I reckon I'd be burnt out in six months I'd be divorced the kids wouldn't know me um, he'd just be a bastard to work for like mm. I just I just don't want to work for Musk but here's the thing he doesn't have to convince 99.9% of us to want to work for him mm. He's just got to pull together a few thousand people, quite literally, who are happy to drink the Kool-Aid. We just talked about cults before, right? If you can find, if, even Tesla, people hate Logan Tesla, right? Mm. Or they absolutely love it. Yep. And so the employee attrition is super high. People get sacked on a whim. They, they leave and quit and have enough. So many of those stories. And that's, I, I'm sure that's true because he's just probably a terrible place, person to work for. It's probably a terrible place to work. Except mm. if you're wired a particular way and he can give us enough, he doesn't need to convince even 5,000. He just convinces what? couple of thousand people mm. to want to work for either people who are who like the work who are driven by the work who are paid enough who just are wired that whatever it is that's all you need to actually do so the idea that t- twitter can't work because must a terrible boss like no you don't you know I, I don't think that if you had to employ what well, amazon or walmart level number of people that's a big deal yeah but this is software right you don't need that many people so i think that's i think that's true mm. um also to your point outrage sells yeah like you know fox news love it or hate it i don't love it um let me put it that way um is is very financially successful because it relies on the outrage machine mm-hmm. talkback radio has been doing it for years mm-hmm. for decades yep. right and so yes if the advertisers stay away that might be a problem depends how many of us pay for subscriptions um but you, you know the, the 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 path to to about commercial success if, if Elon Musk doesn't care, and I believe he doesn't care about the quality of the conversation or the decency or any of that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm convinced he doesn't care. Um, if you don't care, that's, that's it's actually it's one less chain to worry about, right? It's one less chain to bind you. Mm-hmm. The things that I could say, I'll, I'll say The Motley Fool is a is a very, very uh, high uh, high volume email marketer. Can I say that? Is, that? is that the nice way we say spam these days? Mm-hmm. Um, and plenty of people hate it, right? And I, I wish that we didn't have to do it this way. I also know it's very successful and it's the least unsuccessful way of running our business. Now, do I wish I could say to people, hey, how about this? Yeah, sure. You know, people should, can I help you make some money? Yes, you can, Scott, for a very cheap price. Great, thanks. Here's the sign-up link. That should be enough, right? But people are people. Now, I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that's the way it is. But I will say the other thing too. Our marketers have to pull a whole lot of punches. 
Because mm. we as a business say, don't go with the fear stuff. Don't go with the outlandish. Like, you know, we, we are, some people listening to this will laugh and say, well, I think you're crossing a line. That's fair. These are subjective. But we tell our marketers regularly, no, don't publish that. No, don't write that. But I could sell more newsletters. Yes, you could. Don't mm. do it anyway. Mm. And not that, not their, their, um, not their mercenaries. They themselves would say, hey, I think this is not what we want to do. Is that right? And we say, yes, that's right. So my point is, we could make a lot more money being a lot less responsible. And I think that's probably true of, of social media networks as well, despite you know what people and important influential people say. <laughs> I'm not convinced it would be an issue. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually I'm really fascinated to see where he's going to take it again in that deck that he re- the deck that he re- released. Um, God, I'm having trouble talking this morning. Um, <laughs> that's okay, mate. We're only doing a podcast. That's fine. Use yeah, other skills. It's not not that important, is it? Um, let's do let's do mime and charades for fifteen minutes. <laughs> oh, I need the coffee to kick in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, he, he's he's talked about it and hinted at it before. There's there's this concept of an everything app where just to yeah. really broaden it out more mm-hmm. al- along the lines of what a WeChat is in China. Yeah. Um, I, it'll either be, I suspect it'll either be a, a big nothing or just like a huge change. It's kind of, I think it bifurcates in that kind of way. Um, payments is going to be fascinating, whatever he's going to do there. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm interested. It's just, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to play out. And as I say, I'm here for it. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. So, Matt, one of the things I've been thinking about in the last couple of days, but it's not a new topic for me or for us, is just the other side of the coin. You know, I think I think we we try, you and I try both in our investing and in this podcast to think about the implications of, you know, both sides of any any coin. Make sure we're not over-egging any particular pudding. And we've talked before about the, the beauty of shares and particularly growth companies where you say, well, okay, the maximum you can lose is 100%. And which would be terrible, but possible. The maximum you can make is in theory unlimited, but but certainly in practice multiple times that. You look at any of the great businesses of the last decade, century, you know, anytime. Uh, look at the growth of an Apple or a, an Amazon, I own shares an Amazon or a CSL or a Commonwealth Bank. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of money made by shareholders who bought and hold those companies are just phenomenal. And obviously, in hindsight, you say, well, it was a good bet because most I could have lost 100%, but I've made 5, 10, 15 times my money, uh, more than that in, in, in Berkshire's case and Amazon's case. Um, so you, you kind of, you know, those are, the, those, are the, those are the reasons or some of the reasons to think about the benefit of investing. I've been thinking the other, recently, and I, I tweeted during the week, uh, it happened to be about a, a topic you're a fan of, but let's not get into that particularly now. We have a podcast coming up about that soon. But it was just, I just wanted to, you know, some of the responses to my concerns with that style of investing for those people not for everybody not for the whole thing i don't want to i don't want to get into the you know because it was well, i was trying to be nuanced in my conversation but the idea was yeah well i can i i can take a little bit more risk and the returns could be massive and i just thought that while while that's kind of true at one level on the other hand the incremental returns some people are going to get or likely to get versus the risk they're taking with all of their capital. I just wanted to kind of make the make the alternate point for a change, just to say, mm. you know, it's not to discourage people from investing in stuff that has risk or is risky. We've talked lots of times about, you know, the, the only thing investing is pricing risk appropriately. So if you have to take a big, big risk, you want a very, very, very big potential payoff and do that enough times to make it work. But, you know, when people say, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm young, so I can take more risk, or uh, I, I'm old, so I want to take more risk to try and get more money. The idea of somehow being able to put aside the risk, and you say risk as if it's a four-letter word and you can leave it, and then you focus all your time on the return, because look what I might get if I'm right. And I just think, sometimes I think, you know what, you can get 4% in the bank. You can probably get 9-ish percent over time in the stock market. No, no guarantees any of those, but you know what I mean. Um, maybe you get 10 or 11%. Maybe you get 15% if you're lucky. But what are you risking to get those extra couple of percentage points? Because if, you, if, you're, if you're risking 100% of your capital to earn a couple of percent more than you could otherwise get by, by taking less risk, you know, if I, if, I can, if I can have a very, very good chance of getting 9% or a very small but you know, exciting chance of getting 15%, the, the, the mass just doesn't pay off. So I just, I just want to, just for the sake of maybe being contrarian, maybe, maybe being contrary, um, but just, I guess it just it was on my mind that, you know, the, the idea that, well, I have to take some risk because I want to get some money, so therefore the risk must be worth doing. I, it doesn't sound like there are some people who are really thinking through the, the what the risk actually means 
and and what the actual incremental upside is for, for a relatively small incremental upside they're risking a whole lot those things can be true at the same time i think yeah yep no no argument there i mean what's what's hard about investing is that it's not a um oh, what do the mathematicians call it it's not like a, a closed set of outcomes in the mm, sense mm. that if i we we can do some very there's actually a lot of good maths and reasoning when it comes to roulette wheels and yeah, dice right. and coins. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we we yep. can make it. We the can range make of outcomes is known and and, and, yeah. and understandable. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we can do that. So you can actually you can you can in, uh, uh, develop a whole range of quote unquote investment strategies around rolls of the dice because yep. you know exactly what the outcome is going to be and that if you get if you win enough for a correct roll versus not losing much for a wrong one, you you'll work out whether or not it makes sense to play that you can rationally objectively sort of back that that kind of approach right so while you're saying what you're saying is true it's 100% true it's also it's it's a question of on one hand i'm in two minds and i'm going to speak out of both sides yeah, of my please. mouth on one hand if someone says hey i'm actually a very sophisticated investor i think i've got a really good <laughs> handle use that on term? I've got a really good handle on the risks here. Yeah. I think I've appropriately balanced that amongst a diversified portfolio of assets and securities. And that's part of my superannuation strategy. I go, yeah, that makes that makes sense and, and you do you, you know, because if, if they're if they're right in their summation of the facts and the risks and that, then it's actually not a not a crazy thing to do. Even if it's a hyper speculative asset, but if they've kind of got a, a positive expected value they've given maybe a two percent weighting it's hard it's hard to be too critical of that but where where it gets tricky of course is that what people will do is they and this is what you're getting at they will make very heavy bets yeah um, with a very large weighting on things that you can't know what what the outcome will be um so it's so that that's where it, the, the the reasoning can be extended to a point where actually it's it's hard to support in any objective way and that's that's what makes it so tricky yeah i think that and that's you know i just i think i'm not sure but i have a suspicion that one of the greater so i tweeted this on thursday morning one of the greater mistakes i think investors make and and not every investor not all investors and all that kind of stuff usual caveats is just not understanding the risks appropriately i think you know the, the biggest mistake is probably being it's probably trying to time the market or or and or um uh, you, you know not understanding what you're investing in there's some there's some kind of you know structural or, or kind of very basic downsides about what people are getting meaningfully wrong risk um, comes from not knowing what you're doing is yeah is a, a yeah. great investor once said so so i i i i, I talked about the investing sin i said my, my quote was it's possible it's just possible that the biggest in, sin in investing is giving too little weight to the downside risks all investing involves risk, but too many people chase small potential upsides, risking large amounts of capital in the process. I think that's probably my, and it's not even yeah. necessarily it's not even necessarily speculative stocks. I mean, you, the same is true of putting hundred dollars into an overpriced, you know, low growth business and and mm. having that disappear or evaporate or or simply you know having some downsides, some bad things happen. You just go, oh, hang on, well, there's no there's not a lot of upside, and yet there is. You know, large potential downside. We talked about that with the banks many, many times. You and I were saying, you know, maybe things go really, really well. You get a couple of percent, but if they don't, then you lose some money somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a yeah. It's, I think it's a it's a challenge to just keep both those things in mind at the same time. It is worth investing, and it is worth recognizing that there are you know the, the potential upside is much larger than the potential downside in, in absolute terms on a case by case basis. But mm-hmm. if you if you don't price that risk correctly, if you don't understand that risk correctly getting all the downside, none of the upsides, you still potentially lose a, a lot of money. Yeah, there's a variety of different studies that, that show that portfolio allocation is is just as, if not more important, as the actual uh, investment selections themselves. Hmm. So the person who might say, listen, I'm not actually going to be, I'm not going to pick any stocks or any bonds or anything. I'm just going to go broad-based ETFs, exposure and all of those, but then builds a, a, a portfolio around that where they've thought a lot about the weightings can often be more valuable than that the person who's gone right into the weeds and selected individual assets mm. outside of it. So it's look, it, it's the the point. The point. Yeah, the point is, um, uh, 
you want to you just you just want to go in eyes wide open i think with all of these these kinds of things and you want to do both i think like wh- why limit yourself to one make sure that you understand what you own and why you own it I, yeah. i'm very much a bottom up investor i think that that's there's huge advantage to anyone who's bothered to to do more work than most people unfortunately most people are really lazy mm. um, in first in educating themselves and then in actually doing any any work which is just a wonderful thing so i'm a big believer in all of that but i think you also want to get the big brush strokes right as well you know there's no point doing you know 100 hours deep dive research <laughs> on one tiny speculative stock and then going 100% and you still want to think about how it's all managed and structured together so mm-hmm. but yeah i think i think you can i think you can you can very sensibly go reasonably um, you know have a reasonable allocation to things that might be quote unquote more risky than normal as long as it's balanced out with other things and as long as you've got a a, a reasonable view on it that 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 um perhaps limits the risk a bit for you at least in understanding what it is you're doing if you're buying something because it's simply going up or it's got a buzzword associated with it you know maybe you want to look in the mirror i don't know <laughs> yeah i think that's probably a good way to describe it but let's finish off with um with some boredom Let, let's let's get really boring for the last few minutes of the podcast um you you mentioned to me as as we as we talked about what we're going to talk about today before taping you said uh it's not very sexy but sometimes that can be good. And again, maybe maybe it wasn't necessarily in keeping with the last point I just made, but it's also kind of worth remembering that people sometimes have a sense that unless you're taking lots of risk and you're pursuing the sexy stories and the kind of the new things that are happening and it's got to be tech and internet and 5G and whatever, 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 that, that's where all the money's made. Uh, there's a very good argument to say. We look at, you know, again, I've mentioned Berkshire already, Berkshire Hathaway, a business I own shares in. Um, plenty of others, West Farmers, uh, some of the listed investment companies over time, very, very large amounts of money have been made by investors who just said, you know what, give me the boring, basic, normal things that are done really, really well. Um, and you can make a, an extraordinary amount of money. You had a conversation, I think it was this week, uh, with a particular CEO of a particular company. Tell us who that is. Uh, and I will disclose I own shares before you mention it, just so I don't have to interrupt you when you start talking. But tell, tell me who it is, tell me what the business is, and uh, tell me what you learned. Yeah, so for Strawman members this week, we had a, a meeting with um, the managing director of Brickworks, BKW is the ticker. Uh, his, his name is Lindsay Partridge, and he's a, he's a, he's a real straight shooter. And um, it was just a really great conversation. I just, it just reminded me that boring can be beautiful because here you've got a company that makes bricks. Well, actually, that's not fair. As he pointed out, like a quarter of their business is making bricks. <laughs> They've got a very large cross shelving with sole, sole pads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're, they're essentially an investment company, mm. property, assets, and the rest. It's yeah. a fascinating business, but it's pretty boring. They're not, there's, no, there's no sexy technology involved <laughs> or, or anything like Always that. Always a little bit. We'll get to that. Well, we'll get to that. But, but this is a business that's been around since forever. I think it's one of the oldest listed businesses. And they've got one of the, I think it's either the record or one of the, certainly in the top two or three, um, of unbroken chain of dividends. So you can go back to 1976. And if you bought shares at that point in time, well, firstly, you've massively outperformed the market. You've done about 12, 13% per annum, which is insane over such a long stretch of time. Um, you've never had a dividend go backwards, not during the, the, the 90s recession, not during the dot-com bust, not during the GFC. And, th- and this is where a big chunk of their business is involved in a highly cyclical um, construction industry. In fact, not only have dividends not gone backwards, they've increased at an average pace of about 7% just over the last 20 years alone on an on a, on a average per annum basis. <laughs> and it's not like and it's not like all the growth was in the early days, you know, like revenue at the most recent full year grew at 28%. They topped a billion dollars in sales. Mm. And because of a well, there's there's a lot to unpack there, but the the EBIT <laughs> was actually almost as much as the sales. So it's like it's it's just it's just a business that um doesn't it doesn't seem that attractive from well, it doesn't doesn't seem like there's much of a what am I trying to say here? It's just hard to get excited about bricks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to get excited. But what, when you think about it, it's like, yeah. well, the past has no guarantee of the future, but wow, that is yeah. a very enviable yeah. track record. They they clearly know what they're doing. And not not least because, as I say, a big component of their business is, is very cyclical. Mm. Um, but they're also a business that's actually very unlikely to be disrupted. They, they, find me another product. And Lindsay pointed this out. They give 100-year warranties on their products. <laughs> that's pretty cool. 
100 years, yeah. right? Yeah. Bricks, bricks are not going anywhere. We've been using them for 7,000 years <laughs> and we will continue to use them. There's new yeah. building products all the time, but bricks, bricks are something that have huge advantages and, and will, will continue to be used. Mm. They're one of these businesses that, unlike many Australian businesses, they've gone to the US and they've had great success there. They're very conservatively run. Um, they have these wonderful phenomena where it's like it's very difficult and expensive to transport bricks. They weigh a lot. Yeah. So generally, the brick pits need to be pretty close to where you're developing. So they buy a bunch of land, scoop up all the clay and shale and all that stuff and turn it into bricks. They build out all around the area and then all of a sudden you've got this massive amount of land that's that's actually much more valuable than, than you bought it. And then you can sell that to, in fact, they do a lot of industrial property development as well, which is a big part of their business. They've done incredibly well on. And uh, industrial property is a fascinating space because it's not like the commercial or the residential is actually huge tailwinds with all the warehousing requirements from Amazon and the likes. And they've just, they've just done, they've just done very, very well. I don't own shares. So it sounds like I'm shilling for it. Um, I don't know why I don't. By the way, I, I was going to say I don't. I'm happy for you to shill as long as no, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, but it's but it's just. I, I guess I guess the point is is that it's it's fascinating. Now one of the one of the and and far more interesting than it will look at first glance. One of the questions I always asks ask CEOs when they come is, what is the thing that the market just fails to understand? Um, you know, when you're talking to investors like us, what is it that that mm-hmm. you know just doesn't stick for whatever reason? And he said, well, the cross-shareholding was Solpats. Yeah. And, and we can get into that in a little bit. But what I found fascinating about that was that if this had happened two years ago, I'd go, yeah, I get it. It's complicated. It's wheels within wheels. It's self-referential. It's very circular. We own shares in you. You own shares in us. How do you? <laughs> so what? How do you break that apart? Yeah. Do you know? But he was saying that that's, that's what analysts always miss. And mm. one, I'd say, well, like maybe the average punter, okay. But analysts miss it? Mm. Really? And this structure has been in place for like, what, 30 years? <laughs> like, I mean, how can you still be having issues with this? And yet here we are. And yeah. yet here we are. It's basically some of the parts calculation, by the way. It's, yes. not, as, it's yeah. not, not, not nearly as complicated as it sounds. But um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's an interesting business. And it's also one too where I think um, you, can, you can go a bit astray with first level thinking. And the first level thinking might go, oh, rising interest rates, slow down in property and construction. This is very bad, sell, sell, sell. And it's probably not great, you know, in a lot of ways. But, but again, look at the kind of developments that they are doing. Look at the kind of assets that they hold. Look at the kind of markets that they are in. There's a big push from the Biden administration for infrastructure works that, you know, there's bridges and railway stations, all kinds of stuff that need, need bricks within all of that. Um, and even more fascinating as well, one of, the, one of the interesting points was when they're digging all these tunnels around the place, they actually, they actually get to have people quarry for them. So what would normally be a cost and a hassle and a waste <laughs> product, they get, to, they get to take, you know? So it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually it's, I don't know, what am I saying? It's just, it's, have a look at it. It's a, it's a very interesting business. It is. I own shares, as I said, so I, I am familiar with all of those things you've just said, but I'm also always happy to hear someone else tell me I'm very smart, uh, which I which I which you didn't do, but I'm going to assume you did. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's you know, one of the things interesting, mate, so just going back a bit, you talk about, you know, 1976, and, and, and you think about the changes in the economy and investors' appetite and approach before, during, after, all those time periods, right? Mm. And I, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a contrarian by nature, not a super contrarian, but... I, you know, I, I, I tend to be a bit, dismissive is even the wrong word, but you'll say this about crypto or Bitcoin, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I, I think you don't need to, you don't need to catch up with each fad, right? The, the, the money isn't necessarily made by the people excited about the thing. Now, there is a lot of money made by the people excited about the thing if you can time the in and out and get the momentum. I think about like the, the buy now, pay later stuff or the, the lithium, I think will be like this graphene was in the past. Nickel's been like that before that. The dot-com era, you know, the, these things, they go in these cycles. And there's absolute, there's real value created by some of these businesses. So I'm not saying they ignore them all. What I am saying is, generally speaking, um, when I'm excited about something, I'm tend to, I tend to be thinking, oh, maybe they're kind of getting a bit carried away here, or you know, this is not necessarily the place to look for value. You want to look in those hidden places. You mentioned being a bottom-up investor, and you mentioned looking for opportunities. I think that's where businesses like Brickworks that everyone misses. And by the way, the fact everyone misses them tends to be, and to your point, the fact that analysts don't understand how to value Brickworks is great for the rest of us because it means there's mm. not as many people buying those shares. Those are the opportunities, right? If you can, now we've got to be careful. We don't 
give, give up to hubris here. You have to absolutely be able to identify the, uh, you know, where the analysts are wrong. Just because just because you would disagree with them doesn't mean they're the ones that are wrong. Mm. But if you can find those opportunities, that's I think where the value is. And and a business that's been even I mean, Solpats itself, the cross you're holding, as you say, those shares I think the last twelve or eighteen months have been as high as forty and as low as twenty four dollars. Yeah. And this is these this is one of the most boring businesses in the world. And you kind of go, okay, well, how is it the price has doubled and then halved, close enough to both those things, in, in that period of time? And just, you know, even in those boring businesses, investors do get carried away in both directions. Mm. And there's great opportunities for, for patient investors to say, hang on, these guys know what they're doing. They're going to create, I, I expect, both these companies, Brickworks and Solpats, meaningful amounts of long-term value by just doing the simple things well. They've got some things that make them different and specific and, and I think particularly profitable. The the local monopoly made is, I think, one of the greatest things in the world. <laughs> think, about, yeah. think about price pressures, right? We talk about competitive advantages all the time and we talk about you know uh you know brands or contracts or low-cost production all that kind of stuff when it comes to bricks there's just a structural reason why uh, there aren't too many brick pits in a single area because that would be too much supply because they all know as you say trucking them anywhere bricks Mm. are really 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 low value Mm. a full truck of bricks isn't worth that much so you can't afford to send it very fast so as soon as you've got the brick pit in the area you've got a local monopoly i mean not you know, there's nothing stopping someone else opening up beside you except that they're going to lose a fortune, so they're not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some really great ways to think about these businesses. And I, the other, last thing quickly is there are some great businesses that are capital light, you know, high recurring revenue, those things that we all are taught to think that we like. Mm-hmm. And those things are true. They're absolutely true. They are better businesses overall in general. But this is a really, really, really capital-intensive, low price, lowish margin, boring as buggery, no technological advantage businesses. Now, Lindsay may disagree with some of those. You might say there's different areas where I'm wrong in this and that area. But fundamentally, these are very boring. I don't want to to talk my own book for the sake of it, but I do want to just use an example of where there's actually value. You know, I've said before on the podcast, and we won't spend too long on this because we're running out of time, but I've said before the... There's nothing, there's nothing to say that tech should outperform anything else. You know, people who buy tech because tech outperforms. Tech only outperforms because it was incorrectly priced in the past. Mm. <laughs> you know, if, if everything's efficiently priced, it, the businesses themselves are one thing, but if, they, if they're priced correctly, they don't, there's no reason they should outperform. The only reason they outperform is because people misprice them, even when they mm. do. And I think the same is true of these boring businesses where it's like, you know, sometimes they're just rubbish and you've got to be careful. Uh, but if you find a good quality business that's undervalued, then there can be really, really great value opportunities for investors. And as you say, mate, the opportunity over the really long term, this business has been underestimated for decades, which is great for the rest of us. If it was, if it was properly priced in 1976, no one's made any money since. But because the market misses companies like this, because it's not cool and sexy and exciting and it's supposed to not tick those boxes that we're all supposed to want, we're all supposed to want recurring revenue and high gross margins and software as a service and low capital, you know, Again, they're great things if you're running a business, you want that stuff. Mm. But it doesn't make them bad investments necessarily. Yeah. And don't don't assume it's a low margin business, by the way. Like because yeah. again, it's it's the bricks part, um, yes, sure. Good point. But yep. but overall the net get this, right? The net margin, not yeah. the operating margin, not the gross margin, <laughs> the net margin. Yeah. Well last year was a bit funny because they had yeah, some be, yeah. had some stuff happen in the investment space, but even before that, you're looking at, I'll go back from 21 to 20 to 19, it was, it was 32%, 15%, 25%. I mean, these are insane net mar- These are technology company sort of margins. Um, so, it, again, it's, 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 they're doing something right, and there's no guarantee of the future. Right. But I think you have a very conservative management team who understands the industry and the business exceptionally well, who's making long-term decisions who are very effective capital allocators. Mm. Um, and by the way, not old fuddy-duddies because one of their <laughs> investments, which you touched on, which you sort of hinted at before, was in a company called Fast Brick Robotics. In fact, now it's just called FBR mm. uh, Limited. And this is these are these were basically robot brickies and they can, they can lay um, cement and bricks and stuff all automatically. And they've had stake in this for a while, but they've upped they've upped their interest recently. So they've even they've even you know they're not they're not uh, uh, adverse to technology. They've got some fingers in some pies there in case any of these things sort of take off. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess uh, one one thing one thing that I think y- you touched on was also very interesting. That's worth pointing out is that these are exactly the kind of companies I love to have on a watch list because mm. at some point when everything is bombed out and like really bombed out 
and, you know, people are worried about what's going to happen in the construction industry in New South Wales over the next 18 months, <laughs> completely ignoring the picture that there's, there's, there's actually far more parts to this business and far more exposure, et cetera, et cetera. And just missing the point and going with the simple first level narrative. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is the time to be opportunistic. Mm. Yep, I, I spot on, mate. I, I, one, one quick thing <laughs> and another thing. Um, just on the numbers you talked about, I, I really do want to make sure that our listeners do actually look at this business in detail because the, don't, don't take any year's earnings as a, as a reliable indicator of future earnings, up or down. Um, there's lots yeah. and lots and lots of moving parts. You've already mentioned the SOPAT's dividends change and the reported profits change from them. The, uh, the property profits they make can depend on transactions being entered into in given years. Um, so I don't have a view on the most recent earnings or how much higher or lower you should, um, you should assume they're going to be in future other than just to say, just be mindful. We talk about, we talk about um, earnings power rather than earnings. And I, I, I'm more and more convinced that's the way to think about these things. So if you have a business that's, this is not cyclical so much as volatile, but it's a bit of both. Um, just, just be, just be careful with that. Just make sure you're getting, you're understanding what you're buying and the price you're buying it for. What long-term earnings power is likely to look like? It may be cheap right now, might be expensive right now. I really don't have a strong view, um, but just, just keep that in mind as you, as you buy. And by the way, to your point, mate, the price will be volatile because the rest of the market also makes these mistakes. So yep. you, you get the opportunity to buy cheaply, but you're also going to have times when the price is really high and really low because the market just is, is doing what it's doing, and that's okay. Don't, don't, don't avoid it for that reason. Just buy it knowing, in my mind anyway, buy it knowing that. Uh, that's just the, the life you're going to have. But that, what, 976, 2022 numbers, that should tell you exactly what you need to know about whether or not it's worth doing. Yeah, there's, there's lots of different valuation approaches. This one, I, for me, just just lends itself so perfectly to a dividend-oriented <laughs> model. Yeah. And yeah. so there's no right or wrong. It's just it's a personal choice. But I look at it right now and go, it's about a 3% yield based on what, what they've paid out last year. They, Lindsay is, I mean, they are hyper-aware of their record and they will do whatever it takes to maintain that dividend. So <laughs> you, you, they're not going to break a 46-year history lightly. <laughs> so um, that's no guarantees. There's no Correct. such, if you want to guarantee, buy a toaster. Um, but but there is- Also there bricks. Is a, uh, yeah, I, I feel as though if you bought it now, the calculus is, well, look, I get I get 3%. It's fully franked. So that's, that's like 4% grossed mm. up. Mm. Historically, for a very long period of time, they've grown those, those dividends at about 7% per year. Seven plus four, about eleven percent. Call it ten percent, just to round it, round it off. Probably about my long-term total return. Now that's that's very decent. That's very decent. It's not buy a Lambo next week kind of decent, um, as 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 a lot of people look for in the market. But it is something that I think is in terms of if that's attractive to you, particularly when you're getting much less than that in any sort of cash savings account. <laughs> I think it's pretty reasonable. And if you go, no, 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 I want more. Well, then you've, you've answered your own question. Just work out what, what yield do you need for it to become attractive and just pop it on a watch list and set an alert and you'll, you may well get the, get the opportunity. I think that's, and, and that probably is the point, mate. These shares run at $18 six months ago, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, and they were under, they were under $20, $20.50 or so, just looking at this about oh, a half, two or three weeks ago. Now 23 bucks, twenty two seventy eight. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, again, I'm not saying it's bad value or good value now, but to your point, there's, you know, there's times when you can look at these businesses. Um, I I find I find the volatility of businesses like Brickworks, Soulpats and others just, again, as you, you would say to me, don't don't stress about it, just, just take advantage of it. And you're absolutely right. But you look at this and go, guys, seriously, they're paying, you know, the market was paying $24.20 for it roughly in April this year, then $18, under $18 in June, they're back to $22 in August. And then, you know, like, and they're, not, they're not big, big swings, but this is not a hard business to understand. They, like, in all honesty, like, you look at this company going, seriously? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you can't trade these things. Don't try and trade these things. I had a mate who used to say, oh, you buy what's high and sell it. It doesn't work because you can't know where the bottom's going to be next. Yeah. Um, but just just be mindful that, you know, uh, not, not if you dollar cost averaging, Maybe again, let's get back to that. Um, if you're doing, as you say, mate, if you're in this sort of business, you're probably not looking for big, you know, swing uh, fence swings. So yeah. maybe there's an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've probably done that to death. The point is, boring can be absolutely beautiful and can make you a very, very decent amount of money, particularly yeah. if you do it over a long period of time. That's that's really the point here. It's not run out and buy this company. Please don't, because you listen to a podcast and then send us an angry email in six months <laughs> when it's down four percent. You know, please don't. But that is the point that I'll just highlight yep. here: is that you, you know, boring, boring can be can be beautiful, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things outside of the sexy that that are that are worth yep. worthy of a closer look. I love it. On that, speaking of boring. And not sexy. That defines us beautifully. So, uh, <laughs> why don't we have it? Have it that particular preference? Should we? Uh, should we do a mailbag on Sunday? 
Oh, I'm, I'm keen for it. Yeah, you Excellent. bet. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.